Welcome to episode 60 of Communicast, a communication skills podcast. I'm Scott D'Amico, president of Communispond, a global communication skills training organization. In order to establish psychological safety, you need to be predictable, consistent, and kind. Excellent advice from my guest, Rich Carr. Rich is a learning scientist and CEO of BrainCentric, which stands at the forefront of redefining cognitive brain training for the 21st century's innovative communicators, coaches, and educators. In this episode, we discuss the importance of affect before effect, strategies to create engagement with any audience, and how to avoid amygdala hijack. I hope you enjoy. Rich, thank you so much for joining me today. Really looking forward to our conversation. Same, Scott. I've been uh, anticipating this, and it's uh, been a great day, and this is making it better. Always good to hear that. <laughs> Before we jump too deep into it, why don't you maybe tell the listeners just a little bit about you, your journey, and the really exciting stuff that you're working on today? Absolutely. I'm I'm the uh, CEO of BrainCentric, which is an educational consultancy focusing squarely in the learning sciences and cognitive neuroscience. Uh, author of uh, Brain Centric Design, the surprising neuroscience behind learning with deep understanding, and the book Surprised: The Science and Art of Engagement. Uh, all of this is basically rooted from my very first job, which was a, a rock and roll DJ here in Washington State, and I worked in radio for twenty years. I, I worked in radio uh, in uh, on air, then I. Uh, went into promotions, then sales and sales management, station management, ultimately bought a couple radio stations and sold those, worked for Telemundo, uh, worked for Clear Channel, worked for Paul Allen as his director of digital uh, up here in the Northwest, uh, working with the internet and radio stations. And and the reason I give that kind of uh, uh, CV is that throughout all those jobs basically did the same thing. And that was trying to influence people to do something. Uh, whether it was listen to the station, buy a hamburger, uh, or you know something more substantial, and I happened across uh, some some brain hacks, so to speak, uh, and started working those in with my sales presentations, and really became enamored with the brain because once you understood not just what a part was called, but how to use it like a tool, it mm -hmm. became really sexy. Then I went to uh, the Wizard of uh, Ads Academy down in Austin, Texas, where he had focused on two key parts of the brain. And to make a long story short, uh, as I started the brain uh, trip, <laughs> I ran into a cognitive learning neuroscience who was trying to push his model into academia. And I said, if I could translate that and put it into business, we would have gold. That became brain-centric design. Brain-centric design became this a pedagogic model which is a, a literal piece of science on how people learn new information. And since then, we've been training that, doing that for companies, uh, building products around that, because we look at every communication uh, as something with consequence. So you're you're speaking to me for a reason to get something out. Uh, and I want to make sure we can deliver that. And that's a literal process in the brain. And that's where I focus now. Oh, how fascinating. And I, so when you started off talking about being a DJ, it's like, okay, how is he going to make that leap from DJ into the brain-centric stuff that he's doing today? And I will tell you, when I first heard your voice, I I sent some sort of radio background in there. I've worked with a number uh, of people in my past that have been DJs, and there's just this common thing you always hear in the voice. So 
Uh, Great to hear about that. And you know, two things that you mentioned there, two words really jumped out to me that I think are very important to the conversation today. One is engagement and the other one is influence. So if yes. I think about communication, those are two big parts of it. How do you engage people? How do you influence them? As you mentioned, pretty much any type of communication you have that you're trying to influence someone to do something, to think differently, to buy something, to do something, to stop doing something, whether it's at home with your family, at work, on a client call, influence is always in there. So as you think about you know, those terms and more broadly communication and what it means to be a great and effective communicator, when somebody says that, you know, so-and-so is a great communicator, Rich, what comes to mind for you? What's the, the picture painted in your head? You have to have emotional buy-in before there's a business outcome. Any great communicator will, uh, will, we commonly say that win their hearts before their minds. The science behind that is affect before effect, emotional connection or emotional buy-in before business outcome or whatever that business is. So regardless of how it wrapped up and appeared to the rest of the world, the operating system, the brain processes information the same way. And if you want to get past the BS protector, uh, the, the, uh, the amygdala, uh, the fear fight flight piece. So, I mean, our, our guards are up for everything. We're 80% of our life. We're in a reactionary mode. So you've got to get past that reactionary mode, that animal brain that everyone speaks of. The only way you can do that is by presenting it as something that's for me right here, right now. If you want me to have thought about it, it's got to be about me at this very second happening. Uh, otherwise, it's something I'll get to, which I never do, just like every other brain. So you, you've got to use that affectual setup, and I'll say setup or framework or 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 whatever we'd like to call that, to get past people. So what we don't do as a species, really, truly, except for the great communicators, is plan our communication. Because we don't know everything. We went to school. I've been in this job for 20 years. And so we'll shoot from the hip. But rarely does anybody, before they make a communication, actually construct it and say, what will they understand when I'm done? And what two things must they know to get that done? So as you think about that, the affect before effect and connecting emotionally and focusing in on, really make sure you're focusing on the other person, right? What's going to be important to them? To what extent or, or how do stories play into that when it comes to communication in the brain? Well, th those are things we all love. And then, and I think any communicator must be a storyteller. They have to, like at the very beginning of this, where you said, I loved how you weaved a radio DJ to cognitive neuroscience. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there has to be something that people can follow and that they enjoy. That storytelling piece is enjoyment. We love stories. We're hardwired to love stories. Uh, because they're full of the unexpected, there's anticipation, there's fantasy, we get to play in our brains with a story. Great storytellers like uh, Neil Ford, if you've ever seen him on YouTube, I mean, boy, what a, what a, what a modern day Paul Harvey he is, uh, you know, a storyteller, the storytellers are remembered as great communicators. A absolutely, that's the idea that where people tend to make a decision with their heart, decision with their emotions. Storytelling is a great way to do that. And it's also really a great way to connect and simplify complex information rather than just using jargon and talking through all the details. If you can find a way to 
related to some sort of story that's going to in turn be relatable to your audience. That's where uh, the magic ultimately happens in communication. Rich, as you're out there working with organizations to help them develop their employees, what are some of the big areas that you're really seeing companies and the leaders wanting to focus on really to develop within their workforce, perhaps at skill gaps or just key areas that are really important to employers today? I would say uh, two things. Psychological safety is, would be number one. And uh, number two would be active listening. I mean, that's the real simple answer, but your workforce is not going to perform if you've got a workspace that uh, eliminates, you know, 30% of them cognitive just by the way you might set it up. So psychological safety is a big deal. Not that you're being mean, but uh, employers and managers need to understand, you know, what makes a safe environment. Uh, and, and it's not changing, you know, painting the walls pink or anything silly. It's, it's, it's literally uh, how you present and say things because that's all they have to go on. Uh, the other thing, active listening uh, with the way things have changed in the last four years, as far as the way we communicate uh, too often, a bad communicator will listen to reply and what we need to do more of is listen to uh, understand because we fire back off too much without knowing the whole story. And again, that comes back to the root of communication. If we're not communicating skillfully, uh, the managers or, or whoever's doing the communicating, the educator, the coach, uh, whatever, they if they're not communicating clearly and the people aren't walking away with 100% deep understanding of a subject matter, it's just going to replicate itself a million times over. Uh, and I think that's the cyclical problem with, with businesses. We, you know, we watch TV or we watch movies and we go to school and we're told this is a manager. So we act this way, but uh, too often uh, you alienate all these people with some behavior you didn't know was turning off 30% of your audience. Yeah, turning off 30% of your audience is never really a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, with the, this idea of psychological safety, I think, and you touched on it a little bit, right? It's not about office design. It's not about trying to create a culture where you're getting free snacks and massages at lunchtime, whatever it is. Right. You know, I think through psychological safety for employees, a big part of that is you, do they feel comfortable speaking up? Whether it is about something inappropriate that they're seeing that the business is doing, whether they feel comfortable just raising an idea, you know, maybe we should do things differently. And so much of creating that culture does go back to the the leader and their communication style. Are they yes. modeling those behaviors? Are they creating environments where people do feel comfortable by the way that they respond to somebody raising their hand in a meeting and perhaps respectfully challenging the status quo or challenging an approach? So. That to me, that is a much bigger part of the psychological safety is how you're communicating and are you putting people, your employees in a position where they feel comfortable raising their hand if they see something wrong or if they see a better way to do it. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of leaders are are missing out on that because there's a lot of times this fear-based leadership where they're just yeah. ultimately trying to keep people worried about their jobs and thinking that's going to drive performance where quite honestly, it's oftentimes the opposite. No, you're you're nailing it, and and I, I had mentioned earlier Boyce's before my thing was cutting up, uh, Thomas Boyce's uh, research, and it's called the dandelion and the orchid. And here's the beautiful uh, analogy: is we call 
uh, at BrainCentric, we call uh, this environment we're talking about, we call it a greenhouse. You need to greenhouse your office to where dandelions and orchids will thrive. Right now, you don't necessarily have that because you've got this issue. A dandelion, let's talk about our kids, two kids. Uh, we told them to do their chores uh, or they, you know, no TV that night or whatever the, the thing was. Um, a dandelion would go into the office and say, dad's a jerk, and then go about their, their world. An orchid would go into the bedroom and go, dad hates me. A teacher hates me. Uh, I'm no good at this. I just proved it again. I didn't even get my chores done. Uh, they just react to the social context differently. And this is nature, not nurture. You're born with this and, and it's not bad. It's just that you're hypersensitive to surroundings. So if the boss approaches you incorrectly, uh, says maybe even just looks at you wrong or asks you this kind of question that puts you into a, an amygdala hijack, an orchid has a, a larger recovery time. They're usually smarter once engaged. Uh, they're the folks that have a higher RIDAR ear temperature. Uh, they're at the HR more because of issues. Uh, they and and the reason is is not on them; it's the environment they're in. So we call that a greenhouse, so everybody can thrive. One of the main rules of the greenhouse is to be predictable, consistent, and kind. A psychological safe office is one that's predictable. You're not going to be you know alerted to anything because it's going to be this way. It's consistently that way, and the kind part to speak what you were speaking of is so important because uh, you want to be the boss you want to work for, uh, but we we don't know necessarily have the skills to do that, nor are they taught. You know, first, we, we started dabbling into soft skills many years ago as professionals, and what we're finding now is that we're, we're moving into this cognitive area where we have to have this brain fitness. We have to have this brain health. Everything about AI is artificial information. It's trying to replicate this thing we already have. And since the learning sciences and cognitive neuroscience have taken those funny Latin name brain parts and lobes and occipital this and you know nuclei that, they've actually put it into a tool set saying, here's how to introduce, here's how to uh, present communication that aligns with how the brain will process it. And we now have that. And those tools are in there. You can use the hammer, the saw, you can for whatever effect you need. And that's 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 what's missing in management because the the kids are learning this. They're learning this in the school with neural education. But uh, the people who are in the workforce now didn't get this because it really didn't start kicking in until the early 2000s, 2010. Wow. Yeah. So so much in there. And the one thing that I love is this idea of how you really defined a workplace or a culture, really anything, a family that has that psychological safety is predictable, consistent, and kind, right? If you're missing one of those, it's going to fall apart. Obviously, if you're predictable and you're consistent and you're, you're terrible and mean, that's not great. But if people yeah, yeah. are like, oh gosh, which Scott is going to show up today? Which one am oh, I going to get? Same thing. It's going to impact people's comfort levels with communicating, bringing up ideas and yeah, I think I have two kids and I'm, I think I have a dandelion and an orchid. So I don't have to be mindful of that as working with them, especially with it is like putting their laundry away and doing the chores. So I'll definitely have to dig into that a little bit more. Well, it's, it's an amazing study and it's again is new. I mean, it's a, it's a thick book, uh, but there's a Ted talk. If you just say dandelion in the orchid and voice B O Y C E um, it's like the 14 minute Ted talk, which will, outline this. And when we're out speaking with people, uh, that's one of the biggest ahas because 
you'll self-identify. Again, it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Boyce's research was based on him and his sister. Why with the same family, the same upbringing, would one uh, kid go this way and one kid go the other way? Uh, he wanted to solve that. Uh, and in all his research, which is in the book, um, that's what it came out as is autonomic nervous system reactivity, meaning uh, it happens automatically throughout your, your nervous system and how you react to the social context or the, the office that you're in, Costco, this conversation. And it doesn't, you don't have to act differently for dandelions because again, dandelions thrive anywhere, cracking the sidewalk in the snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I happen to be a dandelion. Doesn't matter what you do, you know, I'll, I'll recover. But an orchid needs the right light and the right pH and the right soil and the right conditions. It needs to be greenhoused. Uh, and when you throw a dandelion in a greenhouse, it still grows, you know, it grows better <laughs> because it has optimum conditions. And that's, that's what psychological safety is all about. That's why we call it greenhousing, because once you say that and give the dandelion and orchid brief description, you go, oh my goodness, you know, because if, if you say to an orchid, why can't you be like your brother? You have destroyed that person. Mm-hmm. You say that to a dandelion, yeah, because he's a jerk, <laughs> right? <laughs> And it's nothing, nothing's different. You know, they both get the same grades or whatever, but how they react to social context, how do they react to your office? How do they react to your zoom calls? As you said, wonderfully, which Scott could, do they get today? We've all lived that life. Mm -hmm. Walk into like the way we've been showing schools to teach or, or how we show businesses like Nike or CVS and Aetna to, to present, uh, to the customer is night and day because suddenly that magic thing about the other thing I said about active listening, you, as the, the receiver of the information, you are heard. Now you've got me right back into affect up. He listens to me. He's a good guy. Uh, I can trust him. I'm now in a green, uh, emotion of, of joy rather than a red emotion of worry, stress, concern, entrapment, boredom. Those things have to be eliminated from communication or the communication won't get into the prefrontal cortex, which makes us human. That's why we're at the top of the food chain. And again, there's a there's a breadcrumb of information to get there, and it's a documented pedagogic model. Yeah, and it's you know, one of those things where we always talk about with communication is really understanding the audience and understanding you know, what you, not only your product or your solution, whatever it is, how you're positioning to the audience, but as you learn more about the audience, it's going to help influence not only what you share, but I think perhaps how you share it uh, based on that particular group or subgroup of whether it's customer base, employee base, whatever it is, really can, listening, understanding what's important to them, what's driving them, their motivators, and then tailoring your message appropriately. You know, and this is where neuroscience plays with that and and really dials it in because if you take everything you said and tried to understand, let's just say a group of 30 people you're working for, first of all, that's a hell of a job because we're all mm-hmm. different and we're all hiding whatever. But we can guarantee that every one of those 30 people would want something that would benefit them at that moment. Mm-hmm. Because that brain, again, it keeps you alive and helps you thrive. So it's looking for opportunity. It's looking for autonomy, mastery, and purpose on everything. Like a hobby. You know, your hobby, you'll put in long time for, spend a lot of money for. 
uh, because you enjoy it, uh, you get better at it. And if the purpose is for whatever reason you're doing this particular hobby. Now, if work was presented the same way and everybody looked at this new software for processing global import exports as something good for them, then the, the mindset is totally different when you go back into work. So mm -hmm. how we present things is very collaborative uh, when we're learning things, because if you've got 30 managers in the room and you're trying to learn some or teach some software, you should have a format where 30 people can talk to each other and agree as a consensus. So you could have a high performing team. And the only way you can do that is in a psychologically safe environment and a structured learning piece where they're they internalize that information. They they have it in all four lobes of their brains. They've seen it, touched it, uh, smelt it, played with it, predicted it. They've had an opportunity to reflect. And then most importantly, half that hour that we're going to learn, half an hour of that hour would be them speaking about in a, in a structure, speaking exactly about the big idea of that meeting and how it will benefit them and uh, under three constructed questions to keep it safe, to keep it in a greenhouse. And they report on their findings. And instead of teaching them or shoving them information, they've made it their own. They've massaged it. You knew you set up the communication so they would see that, but it had to be their idea for them to actually understand it. We don't want them memorizing anything. Memory's flawed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I'm definitely learning that day by day with my memory. So, you know, it's this idea of, we hear a lot, especially in the sales world, if you focus on the problem you solve rather than the product you sell, so to speak. And if yeah, kind of thinking yeah. through this approach, if you take an audience of say 30 people that they've, you're, you're pitching their product, right. For maybe arguments sake, we know that there's some level of interest or there's some need there. So if you're focusing more on how you can help them. Everyone might take your product or solution, maybe use it or do something different with it. But ultimately, if you can focus on the high level problem that it solves, seems like it from a brain perspective resonates better than just kind of talking about features and benefits. Yes, but but one more nuance to what the brain understand. It has to be their understanding. So so give me give me anything to pitch or educate on, any subject. And I'll show you an example of how I would set that up to where I would take any subject and make everybody in the room think about this subject specifically for them. Or actually, I'll just use one rather than put you on the spot because sometimes I'll, I'll do this. So let's just say I was going to teach this room of 30 managers how to uh, deep fry a turkey at Thanksgiving. All right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I would say, hey, my name is Rich and I'm here to teach you how to deep fry a turkey at Thanksgiving because it'll give you the best tasting, juiciest bird and make you the hero of the whole meal. This is just like to do this is just like K Kentucky fried chicken. It's, you know, they take a, a bird and batter and they put it into some hot oil and they serve it, except this time we're doing it with a 20, 20 pound bird. And moving forward, I this is important because you do this wrong and your house will catch on fire. So before I actually give you this presentation, Take a couple seconds and write down on a piece of paper. It's important that you write this down. How would understanding how to deep fry a turkey for Thanksgiving make my family meal the best this year? I'll give you 30 seconds to write down your own thoughts. You're not going to share your thoughts. And then you come out of that 30 seconds with different perspectives on this turkey. But that introduction of about a minute had four components in it to take what I'm 
uh, introducing, how I'm anchoring it in something they already know, the personal effect of not understanding what you're going to learn. And then I gave you a challenge question that was attainable, took some efforts, but required you to think, not memorize. I said, how can learning to deep fry a turkey for Thanksgiving make me the chef of the year or whatever I said? Mm -hmm. And so, and then I said, and then I gave you 30 seconds. I shut up. And so I gave you a personal challenge question and you're going to sit there. Well, how can learning how to deep fry a turkey this Thanksgiving make this meal the best? And you go through your world. It'll never be the same as mine or Sherry's or the guy sitting in the back of row four. We have different things in the middle of our brain. It processes information the same way, but you grew up different. You know, you had different dressing recipe, <laughs> all the things that go with turkey. But this gives me a couple seconds. So now everything I present after that, my reticular activating system is listening to, to answer my question. Oh, I like how he did that. That would make it cool for my family. Ooh, I didn't know that if you looked at it this way, this would happen. So I, I get this information and then I'm asked three questions. The first one is the most magical of all. What was surprising? That's another question where you have to think and you're automatically past the amygdala because even if nothing is surprising, that's the right answer. You can't be wrong with a question like what was surprising when your kids come home today, you know, have a issue at school and they're ranting and roaring. You just list that sit there and nod your head. And when they're done talking, ask them, well, what was surprising? And then watch what happens. You, they have to think it's, that's why I wrote the book surprised because that's the one thing that emotion of surprise will get you out of a red emotion, a non-engaged emotion and into a green emotion, because suddenly you're talking about me. You see how that works. And so I write down my answer to these three questions, and then I get to talk for 15 minutes with you and Sherry and Bob and the guy in the back of row four, and we discussed our answers to those three questions. what do you think was surprising, Scott? Well, I thought this, and I'm over there listening. It's like, well, I kind of thought that. I didn't write it down, but I'm going to use that. That's mine. I'm going to use that too now. I understand this better. And you can see how if you want a, a, a an exceptional team, uh, and you give them a framework uh, rather than say, hey, let's be creative. Well, right away, you know, I'm thinking of my dog. You know, I just got a taxes letter. You know, I'm fighting with my wife. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not, not going to think about that. But if I present this as something that's a benefit for me, makes my job easier, makes it cooler to come into here and get on these Zoom calls, then I'm all in. And so that's that's what I mean by a framework. And we can put any subject into this framework and present it for deep understanding. And you can do it in a conversation as I did here, or you can do it with a 14 week curriculum on turning digital nurses to online nurses. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an amazing little structure and it, and what it does is just get rid of all the, which Scott do I get today? I'm actually, Scott's bringing another cool thing to me as he always does on Monday at four o'clock versus we're going to have a staff meeting. As you were going through the framework, two things jumped out to me. One was it immediately kind of brought me back to what we talked about at the very beginning of our conversation was engagement. That yes. framework gets people engaged with you, which sometimes when you are doing, whether it's doing a training, giving a, a presentation to your staff, whatever it is, getting that engagement and keeping the, those people engaged can be very challenging. Yes. And one of the things when you gave the challenge question, it was, you know, think about how this will make your Thanksgiving turkey, the best ever, whatever, whatever, I forget what it was. At the end, you mentioned something 
seemed relatively minor, but you said, you're not going to share these with others. This is for you. To me, yeah. it, it ties back to this psychological safety as well, because sometimes if somebody asked me to you know, think of something in a meeting, I'm like, oh, gosh, am I have to share this? Am I have to stand up and tell everyone what I just wrote down? Giving someone yeah. that little caveat gives them the psychological safety to truly dive in and invest in that exercise, knowing that this is for me. I'm not going to have to stand up and share that, which a lot of people struggle with doing. That's a, you're, you're a great listener, Scott, because that is, that nuance is key. Uh, and it is for psychological safety. And if I do that every Monday, you know, predictably consistent and kind in the staff meetings, why you're letting them do it is not only, uh, psychological safety, they're not going to have to share it. It gives them a baseline for what they actually learned in this meeting. So an hour ago, I wrote this down to myself, but now I'm sitting here talking with Scott in this revised thinking part of this model. And I already know this, 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 and this. Well, now I'm talking dopamine and serotonin. I've drugged myself. And you can structure these, these things with the model. I mean, that's, that's why we do the things we do. Everything in a communication should be deliberate and intentional for the consequence. And if you, again, are shooting from the hip and relying on your wit and wondering why it only works 80% or 20% of the time, um, that's why. You can craft communication to where you will always have your measurement of success. They will always leave with deep understanding of this one thing that you needed them to understand uh, and you'll have a happier group because you never did anything that would put them in any kind of amygdala hijack. And out of the seven emotions, five of them will do it. And, and I'll put them into moods, boredom, stress, worry, concern, and entrapment. If you present anything or do anything that keys off one of those emotions, you will throw them into a hijack. And that's why people are 80% reactive. Absolutely. And you know, that baseline is so critical because without the baseline, it's hard to really see change. If you don't know where you started with regards either to your behaviors or to your thinking, very difficult, I'd say near impossible to realize that there's been any type of change from the end of that meeting, presentation, training, conversation, whatever it is. Yeah. And it gives it to you. And again, I said earlier, memory is flawed. That's why, that's why we write it down. And, and it takes a lot of brain power to write it down. I mean, now you're taking these random neuron structures in, in your skull and you're putting them into words and those words into sentences and those sentences down through your muscles to actually put those words onto paper. That's key. That's encoding thought is, is how we look at that, but it's for yourself. So once you write something down, oftentimes you surprise yourself. And it's like, well, what do I know about deep frying a turkey? As an adult, you know that it has a big bird and oil and, and heat and a, and a drum. That much you know. So we'll say, oh, yeah, I know about turkey. Uh, the, again, another reason we don't report out on what we write down in that challenge question is, is, is that I don't want to look stupid. Mm -hmm. I mean, no matter where I'm at, I'm not going to sit there and say, I don't know diddly about turkeys and oil, you know, and be laughed at by the people that do. I mean, that's... That's survival stuff that we learn from kids. You know, we 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 know this stuff. So that privacy piece, especially right up front, and just the really the surprise of a challenge question being thrown at you. Wait, what do you mean? You want me to answer my own question? How cool! That that in itself is a surprise, uh, and it's it's a paradigm shift from the school that we all went to, where we sat down, we shut up, and listened to a lecture for sixty seconds and or sixty minutes. 
and then we're given a test on some ancillary BS piece of information and, you know, what color were Washington's shoes when he crossed the, the right. Delaware? You, you know, I mean, where am I going to use this? You know, to date, I don't know a person that has ever used proofs from geometry in their job, but we spent like a month and a half on those monsters, you know, so it's oh, yeah. uh, lots of information that doesn't mean anything. We were, here's something kind of profound and then I'll hush. You've never been taught to think. You, you've only been told to think and typically what to think of. Mm -hmm. And this is why AI is such a big deal uh, because it's it's kind of being marketed as doing the thinking for you, which it should be. And it's empowering in that way. But you as a human better be able to ask the better questions. Otherwise, you know, you're going to be just working for somebody who works with AI. Yeah, right. And we're going into a cognitive era and thinking is the new currency. If you And if you just recite facts or BS, that'll be ferreted out really quickly here in the coming years. Oh, yeah. And I, I have a you know freshman in high school that's in algebra right now. And I on a nightly basis, I hear, what, when am I ever going to use, you know, he rattles <laughs> off all these ridiculous formulas that he has. And I used to be a high school economics and civics teachers having to teach uh, oh. you know, all these history. And, and part of the reason that I left the profession was the frustration with we're not teaching these kids how to think critically. We're teaching them to memorize stuff so that they can regurgitate it out on a test at the end of the year. So, yeah. It's and the new kids there. are understanding that they see it, you know, with the net, you know, of course there's the ones that do the wacky things, but um, the people who are getting it that are leading this new world are the ones who are asking the great, great questions. Uh, and when they have something that they need to uh, get alignment on uh, a communication of consequence, back to your very first question, you know, what makes a great communicator? They know how to tell the story with effect before effect. There's your answer for great communication. Yep. A great communicator is a storyteller who understands effect before effect and uses a, a, a structure on how the brain processes information rather than being witty or clever or this is what we did last year, or this worked for this guy in a YouTube video. You know, I mean, there's yeah. there's some thought that has to go into communication before you communicate. And that's, we call it the nested egg. It's getting your thoughts in order, basically. And then presenting them the way the brain processes them. That's the whole science of brain-centric is that preparation and that presentation. And it's not equipment essential. It, you know, you can do it on the beach with a stick. <laughs> it's just the way it's still your information, whatever your secret formula is, it's the same. It's just how you present it. And if you really look at it, we all present the same way. Those teachers we hate did. They stood up in front of the class. They spoke about everything they knew and they expected you to consume it and, and regurgitate it. That, as you said, is memorization. What we're understanding is that we have to present to understand, and it has to be about me. Solve those things, and and you you will leapfrog everybody in your way on the on the way up the pyramid. And you know, one of the things that I often talk about is that there's a big difference between being comfortable communicating, being comfortable being on stage, delivering a speech, delivering a presentation, and being good at or being effective. There are yes. people that are charismatic and don't get stage fright and don't say um. They don't have the filler words. They have a good speaking voice. 
But there's a big difference between somebody, as you mentioned, you nailed it. I think I'm going to get to put on a bumper sticker, AFACT before EFACT. Just because you're comfortable communicating does not always mean that you are an effective communicator. Yeah, you they have to be comfortable. The audience, it's always about the learner. Not that you're a teacher, but you know, if you're a coach or an educator or a, a LN, you know, you are educating. That's what communication is. It's it's a it's a it's a piece of information that you want them to understand. I mean, it sounds so easy that way, but when you act the add the the one little piece after understanding and say act accordingly. So Scott, I've given you this new information. It will better your life. I want you to put it into your life. If you don't put it into your life, then it was an unsuccessful communication because you should be so excited about whatever this thing I'm communicating, whether it's your algebra proofs or uh, whatever you're presenting to your audience, that they should be engaged and and absorb it and understand it and internalize it and use it. Uh, and you're going to measure it that's this way. And this again is why we set up the ordering part of the communication is the very first thing after we do an information transfer, get all the stuff out of our head. The very first thing we measure is what will the learner deeply understand when I'm done? Not, you can't say stuff like algebra. You would have to be how to do this one equation, you know, something specific. Then the next thing is, how do I know I'm a success at communicating that? How will I measure success? The application of that formula, your kids saying algebra is fun, you know, but a measurement that you were successful, not that you just broadcasted it, but you were successful at them understanding what you wanted them to walk away with. Then there's a, a again, a little tool where you take all this stuff that you wanted to cover to put it in a certain order, the way the brain would process it. So now you know exactly what they're going to walk away with how you know you're a success, because again, the whole brain wants the thrive thing and the structure on how to present it. You put it into that structure, present the way the brain processes the information, which is I gave you just a piece of with the turkey and um, you repeat, <laughs> rinse, lather, repeat. Once you know the equation, you can't unsee it because somebody said, you know, you've got to do a webinar. What's a webinar are on? Then we start going into this little process. Because again, every time you want to communicate, you want it to be successful. Typically, when you communicate, it's also successful for the other person if they just understood it. You know, we say this all the time. If they'd use their head, if they quit being stupid, no, it's not them. It's that you couldn't communicate whatever it is. Because if you did, they would have understood it. It's it's a little more work, but the consequences are typically worth it. So, And then we find out it's not a little more work. After you understand how to do this, it's, I'll say, like riding a bike. You know, it's just learning something new. Anyway, it kind of reminds me when I was teaching, and while I would say I'm definitely guilty of standing up and, and doing lectures some of the time in class, there were you know, certain concepts that if I really want to drive home with the students, and I remember in one of the civics classes or the economics classes teaching the law of diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. Once again, it would have been very easy for me just to stand up at the the projector at, at this time, gosh, it was one of those light projectors where you had the, the clear pages you write on and it projects up onto the wall, not the smart boards they have today, mm-hmm. but just give them the definition, tell them to memorize it, right? Memorize what this means. It's important. But what we did was we broke them into little mini companies. They each had a desk. They got sheets of paper and they had to make, I believe it was like paper hats or something like that. And so what we started doing is adding employees to that desk. And what they realized with two employees, they can make X number of hats in two minutes. With three employees, they did a little bit more. Four employees, a little bit more. Let's say that five employees, 
they started to plateau because people were getting in the way. A sixth employee, the number went down and down. So they start to get the concepts and then talking about, okay, how does this kind of relate to examples that you could see in your life, whether it is adding more people to your basketball team on the court at the same time, or if you want to start your own clothing line, having more people and cramming them into one production line is not always going to help them be the solution to your problem. So just kind of taking these, these ways to make it relevant to them. And once again, kind of hit different parts like that, that affect before effect to get them to really you know, buy into it. Yeah. Well, the th other thing you did intuitively was you made it personal. Yeah. You know, if I, if I'm playing a game with my buddies and a company and I get to be Trump and you get to be some other guy and I get to eat you up, you know, if, if I'm in the eighties, that's a great time. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you made it personal and it was about me. And this is the great thing about this neuroscience is most of it we do intuitively. Like, you know, sometimes you nail a communication or you nail a class or you nail a lesson. You you see people are engaged, they're excited about it, they're having fun. You know, when you nail something, people aren't sitting around bored. <laughs> that's a yeah. hijack. So you do this intuitively. And that's all this science is, is like, look, you making it personal, yes, but here's where you do that. You know, here's where you analogize something to anchor it in something they already know. Here's how you make it personal. Here's how you light up the occipital lobe, the temporal, the PFC, the parietal. Here's how you do all that with intention and show them how to uh, reflect on it in a psychologically safe way, collaborate on it with their uh, brethren in the room, because now you're just harvesting collective genius in a safe environment. And then they all report out as if it's theirs because it is. You presented it for them to make sense of and gave them a framework in which to do so. Why wouldn't that be anywhere? You know, and that's why mm -hmm. the super innovative companies and the super innovative school districts, you know, this started with Kiran Omani, Dr. Kiran Omani is his name, uh, with three teachers in the Bethel School District. And now it's on every content or continent, uh, entire school systems all summer long. They hold these uh, uh, items, I uh, forget what it's called, but it's at PLU uh, for neural education. And now there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of teachers that are doing this because again, the job's not hard anymore. You're not just parroting some curriculum the district bought for a 10-year contract that, that you have to present this way it has nothing to do with understanding. Mm -hmm. It's just this thing. And that's what it is. So, you know, I'm not BSing on that one. Um, and then, then you give them a model so people can be happy. You know, you learn when you're in a joyful, happy, fun state of mind. You don't learn when you're bored, stressed, worried, concerned, or entrapped. And the other thing school doesn't do or work as we started on this is take into account uh, how a kid uh, comes to class. If we can only hold four plus or minus two things in our head at any given time, and Johnny comes in and his dog is sick and his dad is yelling at mom and his sister stole his camera and all this other stuff. Do you think he's going to sit there and want to listen to algebra? No. You know, so you have to, again, they need to come in to the office or the school in that greenhouse in an environment since they're supposed to spend eight hours with you and thrive. And it's easy to set up. It's just aligning things with how the brain works. <laughs> That's why they call it psychological safety. If you broke that up, that's how my mind feels safe. Safe enough to say, hey, Scott, I'm wearing this goofy shirt today. Far out, huh? You know, versus, oh, everyone's going to think I'm dumb or I don't have, 
you know, I didn't have the secret handshake. You know, so often a manager can just look at somebody and smile and make them feel good, but they don't because they're stressed. So they're going to pass on the stress and we've got an hour of stress. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me, there's a, a poem out there that speaks specifically to, to schools and to teachers. I think it's called because I ain't got a pencil or something along those lines. <laughs> and it's written from a student's perspective where, you know, I woke myself up. I don't have an alarm clock, had to dig around for dirty clothes to put on, you know, brush my teeth in the dark, get my siblings up, make all of our breakfast, make all of our lunch, blah, 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 whatever, you know, catch a bus, do this all on my own. Cause I don't have adults supporting me to do any of this. And I get to school and you're mad at me cause I don't have a pencil. You know, yep. Things like that, where you're just not creating this environment where people are going to be able to, to really flourish and, and tune in. Yeah. And and that is a, that is a, I know it, uh, Joshua Dickerson. Yes. Uh, and I also pulled it up real quick because when you're talking about it, it's like, yes, that is exactly it. That is there. When you hear somebody talk about somebody's uh, short term term memory being full uh, and not being open for learning. And you know that the science says on a good day, maybe six new concepts I might be able to internalize if I'm 100% engaged in everything, six concepts on a bad day too. And so the kid sits down in class and he does, his alarm clock didn't work, his clothes are dirty, his hair and teeth are dark, the lights ain't on, the baby sister's not ready, mama wasn't home, there wasn't a good breakfast, teacher's mad mood and I ain't got a pencil. And now you're trying to push algebra. Well, think about an adult. You know, I'm fighting with my wife. The taxes are due. The dog is sick. You know, mortgage is going up. We got a pandemic. And suddenly yep. you're saying we have to change our software. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to compete for. And the only way you can get past all the the complaining, and those are fine complaints. They're, they're, they're things that happen in everybody's life, is again, to make it about me right here, right now. You want me to learn about making a turkey? Yeah, but to make your next Thanksgiving the most awesome thing. And in this hour, I'm only going to talk for, or not even going to talk for 30 minutes. I'm going to talk for a couple of minutes and show you lots of stuff. And then I want you to collaborate with your buddies there and figure it out. We'll even make one ourselves. Well, now I'm into the turkey. Yep. Spot on. Make it about me. Make it about me right now. What's, what's going yeah. to be important? Only me. It's like always about the learning. About this. this is so fascinating, but I do want to be respectful of your time. You know, as we, as we wrap up here, what piece of closing advice would you have to somebody listening to this, whether maybe they're coming out of school, ready to go into the workforce for the first time, maybe a budding entrepreneur, somebody mid-career, completely doing a pivot, going in a completely different direction. What, if, what references or not references, what recommendations would you have for them around the importance of developing the skills that we talked about today? Well, first of all, it's ongoing. It's a, it's a great question and a great piece of advice, but you don't just suddenly learn this. It's amazing that a lot of the stuff I'm talking about came out of 1956 and went into like Sputnik rather than the schools. But the 90s, 1990s, were the decade of the brain. This is when my former boss, uh, Paul Allen, started Seattle Brain Institute and started fMRIs started coming into play. And all these theories could actually be mapped and seen and operate in the brain. And then uh, in the tens, uh, these models, the pedagogic models like brain-centric design uh, came into play and it is how people communicate. We, it's not that you missed this or never learned it. It didn't exist until like 10 years ago. 
We did not know how the brain is there. So I would go, I would look at cognitive thinking. You called it critical thinking earlier. A uh, great place to start, but using what you have, you have this amazing machine that the world is trying to replicate with AI and the basic operating system of it is available. Uh, and it, and it's relatively simple and it's actually quite fun. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. So I would go heavy into, uh, cognitive learning, uh, or anything that teaches cognition, not memorization, cognition, how to think, not how to memorize two different brain tools. Uh, that would be the first one. The second one would be, uh, again, I'd go back to active listening, self-study, learn how to make people feel heard because that greenhouse environment, you can do one-on-one. -on -one. Some people this all the time, well, I don't know what it is about them, but I just feel comfortable around them. You need to facilitate that kind of environment on you and how you present yourself to other people. Uh, we call it personal brand. You know, so how, if somebody were to t tell me about Scott, what adjectives would they give Scott? Or same thing with Rich. If they did adjectives, what are they? Because you want to, you want people to picture you the same way, predictably consistent and kind every way, but how are you going about that? Uh, and think about how you show up at these things that you're always on interview, no matter who you're speaking with. There's somebody's always judging you again. That's what we do. And it's not that it's mean. It's like, is this going to keep me alive or help me thrive? That's the brain. So know those things, know that this brain is your tool, lean heavily into it, get the learning. Rich, thank you so much. Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, learned a lot. And uh, once again, appreciate you being here. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Scott. Have a great day. Take care. A special thanks again to my guest, Rich Carr. Rich's take on greenhousing and the dandelion versus orchid story was fascinating and has applications at both home and work. I challenge you to think about whether you are creating a greenhouse or a crack in the sidewalk. As we wrap up this episode, remember that the journey of improving communication skills is ongoing. Make sure to stay connected with Communicast by subscribing so that you can benefit from conversations with future guests. If you found value in today's episode, I'd be grateful for your support. Leaving a rating or review is a fantastic way to let us know the impact this show has had on you. Thanks and have a great day.